0: Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship board bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went abroad and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him abroad, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of God.
1: In the Scottish highlands, there is many, many sheep that you see running around if you're ever in those parts of the country. And if you've been there, you know that that part of the country is both beautiful and treacherous. The mountains, the bogs that are there, beautiful place and a dangerous place. And so you have all these sheep in the Scottish Highlands and they often get trapped, they get stuck, they're in great danger. But shepherds, as they care for their sheep, have assistance. They have hounds. These are dogs, collies, that when sheep get stuck on the side of a mountain, when they're stuck in a bog, when they're trapped, when they're in danger... These hounds run after them. The hounds go to them. And the hounds, at risk of their own lives, find the sheep, call for the shepherds, and the sheep are rescued. Without the hounds, the sheep would be in big trouble. About 50 years ago, John Stott, who was a pastor here in London, was asked, why are you a Christian? And John Stott said, because the hound of heaven was after me. The hound of heaven was after me. You see, Stott, as he was reflecting on that question, why am I a Christian? He said, you know, I had Christian parents. I was raised in a Christian home. I went to a school that had Christian influences. I read and I studied and I did research and I was mentored by people who were Christians. And all those factors were important, but they weren't decisive. The ultimate reason, Stott said, that I'm a Christian is because the hound of heaven was after me. And he wrote this. Why am I a Christian? It's due ultimately neither to the influence of my parents or my teachers or my own decision for Jesus, but it's all due to the hound of heaven. That is, it's due to Jesus himself who pursued me relentlessly, even when I was running away from him in order to go my own way and if it were not for the gracious pursuit of the hound of heaven, I would today be on the scrap heap of wasted and discarded lives. Today, we're starting a new sermon series looking at the book of Jonah. And as I've been thinking about and preparing for this series, what's been rattling around in my heart and my head more than anything, is this book is about... The never ending love of God that runs after us, that finds us wherever we are and rescues us. It's about the hound of heaven. It's about God's love that runs after a wayward prophet and rebellious people and big cities. It's about God running after us. And so, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, some of you have been Christians for a long time, Jonah was a prophet. Jonah was someone who was a spiritual leader, and yet he had something to learn about God's love. And there are also people throughout this story who never knew God before, and yet they encounter his love because of what happens in this book. So for all of us, there's something here that we can encounter in our spiritual journey. So today, I just want to, in this introduction to the Jonah story, chapter one, very fascinating, very famous, I want to show you three things. First, we're going to see what we do. Second, what God does. And then third, we're going to see grace through substitution. So what we do, what God does, and grace through substitution. First, what is it that we do? Now, Jonah's the main character, humanly speaking, of our story. So look with me at verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. What's interesting about the book of Jonah is that unlike other stories in the Old Testament, other prophets, we have almost no biographical details about who Jonah is. We don't know where he's from. We don't really know where he lived or we don't know when he lived. We also don't know that much about what he did in his life, what his work consisted of. In other words, he's the main character, but we know very little about him. And most scholars say the reason why that's the case is because this story about Jonah isn't actually about Jonah. It's about you. You see, Jonah is a character that represents the people of God. And so as we read this story, we're not meant to read the story and say, oh my goodness, look at Jonah and his life. What we're meant to do is look at the story as a mirror and ask, what's it revealing about our lives? By not telling us a ton about Jonah, the author is saying this story is not about Jonah. It's about you. And here's the second thing we know. Even though we don't have a lot of description about who Jonah is or where he's from, one thing we do know, he was a prophet. That means he was a person who was a spiritual leader. He was a pastor. He was a priest. He was someone whose job it was to help other people know God. And here's the second lesson we learned just from the introduction. It's possible to know a lot about God. And it's possible to do a lot of things for God. And yet to be very far from the heart of God. To not love what God loves. To not value what God values. To be disconnected from his very heart. Jonah was a spiritual leader and yet his experience of God was pretty shallow. And God's going to bring him on a journey in this book, as we'll see over the next few weeks. So what happens? We're introduced. That's who Jonah is. And look at what verse two says. God gives a command. Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. God says, Jonah, you know Nineveh, capital city of the Assyrian Empire. I want you to go there and I want you to preach. I want you to share good news. I want you to to tell them about me. Jonah hears what God says. Now, from where Jonah was, Nineveh was to the east. And Jonah says, God, I hear you. And he goes to Joppa, the port city, and he buys a ticket to sail as far west as he possibly can. The word Tarshish, some people think that was referring to an ancient place somewhere way west in Europe, kind of the edge of the world at that time. But actually, the word Tarshish literally means open sea. So you say, Jonah, where are you going? He says, away, as far away from Nineveh as I can go. God says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, I'm going the other, I'm running away from the Lord. Why is that? There's at least two reasons possibly why Jonah says, I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to Nineveh. One, he was probably terrified. See, as I've mentioned, Nineveh was the capital city of the ancient Assyrian empire. And the ancient Assyrian empire was a particularly brutal and violent empire. They have sometimes been called terrorizers. And so Jonah thinks, look, I'm a follower of God. If I go into this city that has a very different religious worldview and I preach, (laughs) the chances of success are very slim and the chances of death are very high. He was afraid. But not only was Jonah probably afraid of what might happen to him, he was also probably filled with racism. Because his people, Israel, had been oppressed and conquered by Assyria. And he probably doesn't only not want to see them have mercy, he wants to see them judged. He doesn't want them to be saved by God. He knows God is filled with compassion, and he doesn't want them to see God's love. He wants them to experience God's judgment. And so he thinks those people are inferior and he, instead of obeying God to preach to them, runs the other way so as to not even have the chance of them hearing God's good news. Now you take all that and what do we have? To simplify, God comes to Jonah and asks Jonah to do something that Jonah doesn't want to do. And Jonah runs for it. And remember This story is not about Jonah. It's about you. It's about the fact that throughout our lives, God asks us to do things. And sometimes the things that God asks us to do are things that we don't want to do or things that don't make sense to us. And so just like Jonah, we say, God, I hear you, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to run away, I'm going to go the opposite direction, and I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And some of you say, no, I mean, if God spoke to me like he spoke to Jonah, of course I would listen to him. You know, if God made it so clear to me what he wanted, I, I would not disobey like Jonah. I mean, he's not very wise, you know. Listen, God has already spoken to you more than he ever spoke to Jonah. You have more of God's word than Jonah ever had because you have a Bible. And the Bible is literally the word of God to you, the word of God for you. We have more words from God than Jonah ever had. And yet, how often in your life and in mine too, does God come to me with something that's hard or challenging or difficult, and I say, I'm going to Tarshish. I'm going the other direction. God says in his word, Ephesians chapter 4, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. It's the word of the Lord to you. Be careful with your mouth. Be careful with what you say. Because your words can build people up or they can tear them down. And we know that. We know God's word to us. And yet, every day, we choose to use our words in ways that out of an attempt to protect ourselves, we belittle and we slander and we gossip and we cut people down. That's Jonah running to Tarshish. Jesus, right before he ascended, Matthew 28, says to his disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations. Jesus' priority is that people know him. And so he says to you, to his church, live in the city and help people know me. And yet, how often, when presented with opportunities to help other people know Jesus, do we, instead of being public with our faith, just being honest about what we believe, hide and Pretend and not be honest about our faith because we're afraid of our reputations being ruined or about what people might think or even that we won't have answers to questions that people might ask. One more. Hebrews chapter 10 says, as much as possible, don't neglect getting together as a church family. And yet many of you know, especially since post-COVID, coming to church on a Sunday morning, this church or any church that loves the gospel that starts to feel more and more non-negotiable in our, negotiable in our lives. Yeah, I'll be at church unless I have this or that, and I'm not trying to guilt you, but it's a command. God says, don't neglect coming to church, being in the community of faith. And yet we say, yeah, I'll be there unless I have something better. And so we could go on and on, so many examples, But but what I'm trying to show you is you do have God's word to you, just like Jonah did. And yet, for big and small reasons throughout our life, we hear God's word and we run the other way. Why? Because at essence, what Jonah's revealing is the fundamental problem of our hearts is what the Bible calls idolatry. And this is going to be a repeated theme throughout the story of Jonah. We're going to talk a lot more about it next Sunday. But idolatry is simply putting something in the place that God is only supposed to have in our life. It's substituting self for God. It's saying to God, not your will be done, but instead, my will be done. We would rather be our own gods than worship the true God. And so when God comes to Jonah and asks him to do something that he doesn't want to do, Jonah says, off to Tarshish. And so the first point of this series in Jonah is to ask all of us to look at our hearts and say, in what ways are you like Jonah? Jonah. In what ways are you, when God's commands come into your life, are you saying, God, you can have this part of my life, but not that part. You don't get this one. This is private. This is for me. And if you ask me to give that up, I'm going the other way. That's the first thing in this series, the story of Jonah is asking us to look at. Why do we run? But the second thing, and in some ways, maybe the more important thing, It's not just to see what we do, like what Jonah did, but what does God do? Jonah runs, but what does God do? In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a story. He tells a story about a son who runs away from his father. And he takes all of the father's inheritance, all the money that was promised to him, and he squanders it in wild living. Just lives a pretty reckless life. And eventually, the story Jesus says, this young son comes to his senses. He realizes the folly of his ways. And he starts making his way back home, thinking maybe, maybe my dad would give me a job. Like maybe I could work for him, you know, as one of his hired servants. And so he makes his way back home. And the text says, when Jesus tells the story, that when the father sees the son coming from a long way off, the father picks up, you know, men back then wore kind of robes. So he picks up his robe, which kind of exposes his legs, kind of humiliating for a patriarch in that traditional society, picks up his robe and he starts running towards his son. And when he gets to his son, he wraps his arms around him and he gives him kisses. And he says, you're home, we have to have a party. And he welcomes him back with love and joy. The father in that story represents God. And the whole book of Jonah shows us that Jonah is like that wayward son. When Jonah runs away from God, what does God do? He runs after Jonah. And that's what the book of Jonah is ultimately about. That you can run from God, but you cannot run him. That no matter how far you go, God's never-ending love will go farther than you. That you, your wandering away from him is not nearly as high or as wide or as deep as his love. And so God's love is running after Jonah, even as Jonah runs away from him. But the question is how? How does God's love run after Jonah? How does God pursue this wayward son? And the Bible says there's actually many different ways that God runs after us. That he finds us. But in this story, and in chapter one specifically, what I want to show you today is God's love runs after Jonah through severe mercies, severe mercies. Verse four, God sends a storm. Jonah's sailing the wrong way, so God sends a storm. And it actually says the Lord sent it. It wasn't just a random storm. It was God's direct intervention. Later, Jonah meets the captain of the boat, sailors on the boat, and they're asking him questions which convict him. Who are you? Where are you from? What are you doing? Why aren't you following your God? They're challenging him. And then ultimately in verse 17, God sends a huge fish that swallows Jonah, but it saves him, brings him back to the pathway of obedience. Now, what are all those things? They're severe mercies. Now hear me, and this is so important. If you miss what I'm about to say, you could really misunderstand the point of this this part of the sermon. So so hear this. The Bible never says that suffering is always a result of sin. The Bible never says that. The book of Job shows us that sometimes profound suffering can come into your life and you can be blameless. Blameless. Job was blameless. God himself says Job has done nothing wrong. And yet there was inexplicable suffering in his life. So the Bible never says all suffering is the result of sin. But the Bible also says that every time you sin, every time you choose self instead of God, that's going to bring you into difficulty. It's going to bring you into storms. Why? Because... The most unloving thing that God can do is allow you to persist in running away from him in disobedience. And a severe mercy is God sending something into your life to wake you up, to challenge you, to convict you, and ultimately to bring you back to himself. Now, no one likes storms. No one likes them. No one likes being challenged by people, especially people you don't really know, and they're after you, and they're challenging you and bringing questions into your life. And I particularly, of all these things, would not enjoy at all being in the belly of a big fish for three days and three nights. That sounds particularly awful. It's severe, but it's mercy. Because the most unloving thing God can do in our lives is allow us to persist in pathways of disobedience. And so when we run from him, God runs after us. And sometimes the ways he runs after us are by giving us severe mercies. Because he says, every time you have something else on the throne of your life instead of me, that's ultimately going to lead to your destruction. It's ultimately going to lead to breaking down of joy and peace and of life and wholeness. And of course it is. Because if sin is a rejection of God, well, God made everything. God's the ruler and the creator. So to reject God is to reject the very fabric of the universe. That's why. Let me just give you an example. Romance, having a boyfriend or girlfriend or a spouse, very beautiful things. But if you look to any person, be it a friendship or be it a romantic relationship, to give you a sense of identity and meaning in your life, you know, I'm no one until someone loves me. If that's how you move through the world, that idol is going to crush you. It's going to lead to brokenness and ultimately to destruction. Because either you'll put way too much weight and expectation on another person that they won't be able to live up to, or if you don't have that relationship or you lose that relationship, you'll be plunged into despair and feel like life's not worth living. That's idolatry. It's looking to something, anything other than God to give you an identity that only he's meant to give. That's what Jonah was doing. And as he persisted in running away from God and having any something other than God as the supreme love of his life, verse 11 says, Things were getting rougher and rougher. And that's what happens. But it's severe mercy. Because again, the most unloving thing God can do is say, well, you chose it. Good luck. He's not like that. He's the hound of heaven. And when his people run, he runs after them. When his people say, we're going to do it our own way, he comes in the form often of severe mercy to bring us back to himself. And so again... Suffering, not always the result of sin. But if you find yourself, even as I'm preaching and sharing today about severe mercies resonating, feeling like, yeah, maybe God has put that in my life to wake me up, to call me back to him, respond. You say, well, Bishan, I don't know about this. You're talking about the hound of heaven. You're talking about him running after me. That sounds kind of forceful, kind of aggressive. I mean, hounds. I read Sherlock Holmes, the hounds of Bath, that's scary. You know, is that a good image? Should I like that? Well, it is a little aggressive. It is a little forceful. But we will be encouraged by it to the degree that we understand the character of of the hound that is pursuing us. As Jonah runs, he's on the boat and he's there on the boat and the storm is crashing down. And the sailors are saying to Jonah, wake up, you've got to pray. And Jonah says, look, I serve the God of heaven. He made everything and this is all my fault. So the sailors say, well, (laughs) what should we do? I mean, this is, Is your, tell us how to fix this. And Jonah says, look, if you throw me overboard and I die, you'll get to live. So throw me overboard. And the guys say, no, absolutely not. But eventually the storm is so big and they're so afraid that they do take Jonah and they say, God, don't, you know, have mercy on, and they throw him overboard. And what is that? It's grace through substitution. Because Jonah is willing to die, the sailors on that boat get to live. Now, Jonah is not a hero. Jonah is not, you shouldn't look at Jonah and say, wow, he's so courageous and so sacrificial. No, he's not the hero of this story. But even in his imperfection, Jonah understands something about the heart of the biblical story, which is, grace through substitution. Because someone was willing to die, others get to live. Because someone who was willing to sacrifice himself, other people who would have died are saved. is not the hero, but Jonah points us to the hero. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was here on earth and he was teaching, he said to a crowd of people, Jonah spent three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But the son of man will also spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is saying, see, Jonah's story was just a sign. It was a pointer of someone who was willing to die to be sacrificed in order to save others around them. And Jesus says, I'm the greater than Jonah. I'm the ultimate Jonah because Jonah was stubborn and disobedient and rebellious. But Jesus was perfect and submitted to God, his father, and living a blameless life. And yet he willingly chooses to throw himself, not into the belly of a great fish, but into the heart, into the ocean of God's wrath. And he dies on a cross and he's buried in a tomb. And for three days and for three nights, Jesus is plunged into the ultimate darkness, just like Jonah was. Why? Why? grace through substitution. Because Jesus went into the great darkness, because he was plunged literally into the shadow of death, you can be saved. Because Jesus died and went into the heart of the earth, you can be raised to new life. That's what the story of Jonah is meant to point us to, that we, like Jonah, run away from God. But Jesus is God who's come to run after us. And Jesus was plunged not into the ocean of, you know, the sea, but into the ocean of God's own wrath. And so, what does all this mean? Two things by way of application as we close our sermon and come to our time of response. The first, are you tired of running away from God? If so, today's a day to surrender and respond. Today's a day to say, God, I'm tired of running. I don't actually have the ability to control or run my life the way I think I do. I don't want to be like Jonah anymore. I want to surrender. I want to rest. And you say, yes, I I want that. but, But how do I do that? Second point of application, don't look to Jonah, but look to the Lord Jesus. Look to what he did in his dying for you. Today, the ultimate application of a sermon like this is to see Jesus in his love plunging himself into the ocean of God's wrath so that you never would have to. Grace through substitution. So as we come to this time of response, there's an invitation for all those who are tired of running and worn out to rest in the finished work of Jesus, what he's given and what he's done for us. Let me read to you just a few lines from a poem that summarizes some of these themes, and then we'll pray and come towards our time of response. "'Tis not that I did choose thee, for, Lord, that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee, hadst thou not chosen me. My heart owns none before thee, but for thy rich grace I thirst. This knowing that if I love thee, thou must have loved me 1st Let's pray. God, we thank you for your never-ending love that runs after us. We thank you that today, if we love you, if we feel any impulse towards you, it's because you've run after us and drawn us to yourself. So now as we come to this time of response, we do pray, we ask, that we would experience your pursuing love, that we would surrender, that we would stop trying to run our lives, a job too big for us, and that we would rest in the finished work of Jesus our savior, our friend, our substitute who did for us what we could never do for ourselves. So help us to rest in him and his love today. As we come to this time of response, move powerfully by your spirit and bring renewal in this place. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. And everyone said, amen.